Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. I know that God will provide for you because he knows. Listen, this is the Jesus that spent himself for you, that by his poverty, you would become rich. So how will he not also with him graciously give us everything we need? Paul says this is an iron-clad promise. So just ask yourself, what would change if I believed that with everything in me? Struggling to make ends meet? Do you have a desperate need that you're unable to provide for your family? In today's message, Pastor Ricky reminds us that God is able to meet our needs and deeply cares about our circumstances. Abba Father did not spare His only Son in order to provide salvation for mankind. Since Jesus freely gave His very life for us, how much more will He give to us when we have a true need? Therefore, we should pray for our daily provision and have faith that God will provide. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part two of his message, Generous God, Generous Givers, from the book of Philippians, chapter four. You're on this earth like that, and then eternity begins. So would you rather use it for the five minutes of your life or invest it into eternity? That's what Jesus is saying, and that's what Paul is saying is happening. You gave, and therefore, oh man, it's credited to your heavenly account. So, do you see giving as an investment? Or how would your money change if you saw giving, not just as money leaving your account, but money invested for eternal purposes? Third thing we learn about giving, giving means the grateful response of worshiping. Giving means worshiping. Paul says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And in fact, just later on, he says in verse 20, to God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's an upward emphasis of giving. Now, Paul's changing from the metaphor of kind of business and accounts to the language of temple worship. So if you can imagine, all across the ancient world, there were temples and one of the notable things about the temples is at major festivals, there'd be this smell coming from the temples. It was animals being sacrificed. There'd be an animal being burned up, perhaps with some ceremonial incense mixed in. And the smell from everybody in the ancient world meant worship. Now, I know for some of you guys that are grillers, you would, you're like, amen. When that meat is grilled and that smoke goes up to the sky, that is a moment of worship for me, right? You think, think of the, the, the best smell that you can experience, your favorite smell. One of my favorite smells is coffee. I love coffee. In the morning, it is the best thing ever. Our, our friends, the, the Corpuses, gave us some of their coffee, this coffee that they found um, from more east in Texas at an HEB. It's this special coffee blend that has not just coffee, but they have like cinnamon and spices and all kinds of stuff. And, and I'm not joking that when we opened up the coffee bag, one of our kids came over and was like, what is that smell? What is that smell, right? Sometimes I just, I don't want to finish the bag because I just want to preserve the smell for as long as possible, 
And everybody in the ancient world would know when you smell that smell, it's a smell of worship. It's a smell that means that this deity is being worshiped. And here's what Paul is saying. When you give, when you invest in something of eternal value, you invest in God's work, it is a moment of pleasing worship to the Lord. See, in our culture, the temptation, especially in our society, is to worship money, not God. And one author says that whatever we look at and say, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant. Then I'll feel secure and safe. And whatever we say that about is what we worship. And in our culture, that, that is exactly, you could just insert money into that, right? If I have money, then I'll feel my life has meaning. If I have money, then I know I have value as a person. I know I'll be significant. If I have money, then I'll be secure and safe. And if we're honest, many of the times the way we use money is an act of worship, but not, not at the feet of the Lord. It's at the feet of that God of money and possessions and consumerism. Or not just consumerism, it could be just you're offering this money because you think, okay, I have to hold on to this. I have to do this because otherwise, who's going to take care of me? Giving towards God's eternal cause is an act of worship. One of the things that often happens, even in Christian circles, is we keep money as our true God, and then we try to use God to get to the money. We try to think, okay, how do I follow the God of the Bible so he makes me wealthier and healthier and gives me exactly what I want? And in that way, we're using God to get at money. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 that's the wrong way around. We want to use money to get more of God, to get to God. And this, friends, this only happens when our hearts are full of all the things that Philippians has been telling us. You got to remember, this is at the very end of the letter. Paul has been telling us for passage after passage after passage what the Lord has done for us, how he has blessed us. And by the end, you're like wanting to stand up in worship. And Paul is saying, one of the ways you worship is not just serving. One of the ways you worship is not just following Jesus in every area of your life. One of the ways you worship is by investing in eternal things, even your finances. When... Uh, my son Ford was born. He was born a bit early. He had some medical needs. He went back into the hospital for a little while. And he had this crazy stomach issue where we went from like, we tried formula and then we tried like the sensitive formula, which is more expensive. And then we tried the extra sensitive formula, which is more expensive than that. And then they brought out kind of from some like velvet curtain, this like formula made out of gold dust. Or that's what I assume because of what it cost. Right? I remember like, weekly, the dreaded moment where we'd have to drive to the store and buy more of this and think, oh my gosh, you know? And then we started getting, started those, those bills from the C-section and the hospitalization started rolling in. And I remember one of the first times in our, since Jen and I had been married, we kind of decided to give to the Lord. That was one of the first times that I felt really tested, right? I looked at that section of the budget that we had set aside to give to the Lord and I thought, oh man, I could really use that money, right? And, and in that way, it was like I had this moment with the Lord about it where I had to say, you know what? I feel very insecure right now as a dad. I, I can't control my, my son's health. I can't control all this other the bills and how much they are. But I know the Lord, and the Lord has died for me, and the Lord has taken care of us, and he's preserved my son's life. And so it really, 
very intentionally for those two or three months he was on that, it became like an act of worship. It was me saying, God, I'm going to follow you and trust you and worship you and not something else. And when we do that, that's what Paul was saying. It becomes an act of worship. It, and and it's, it, in some ways, it's such a helpful act of worship for us because it forces us to very clearly take our lives off of the altar of consumerism or greed or money and put them on the altar under the Lord. And say, Lord, I want to worship you, not this other stuff. So let me just encourage you, if you don't feel like worshiping, if you're thinking, okay, yeah, sure, but I don't feel like worshiping, let me just encourage you to go back and read the rest of Philippians again, to soak in those gospel truths again, and to allow that to get deep down and begin to affect your heart until you want to worship the Lord. And last thing, last section here, point number four, giving means trust in the giver. And I love this. Verse 19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What's interesting is that Roman culture was very concerned with who had given what in the relationship and who owed who what. So if you invite somebody over, another family over, and you grill hot dogs and then the next time you go over to their house, they grill steaks, then you're obligated the next time they come over, you better have some steaks ready. Or you raise the steaks and you think, oh, this is a, these are Kobe beef steaks. And then your neighbor is going, okay, okay, I'm special ordering some Wagyu beef from Japan, buddy, right? That's the way the Roman culture worked. Everybody was constantly trying to one-up one another and, and put the other person in an unfavorable position so they were obligated to give to you and kind of uh, owe you in a sense. And what I love about this is this turns that whole paradigm just totally upside down. Because Paul goes to Philippi with no expectation of getting money from the church and just pours himself out to plant this church and then moves on. And they give to Paul. And they give to Paul when they have no way of receiving anything in return. He's a traveling missionary, right? He's not going to hit it big on the stock market. He's never going to be able to repay them. And yet they're generously investing in him. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm well repaid for anything I invested in you guys as a church, and I can't pay you back. But it's as as if, in essence, Paul says, I can't pay you back. I can't make sure you're provided for, but I know someone who can. It's almost like you're in this, this going back and forth with your neighbor with more and more lavish dinners, but you've got a friend, and your friend has some money. And your friend says, listen, because you help my friend out, you're going to come over to my house and I'm going to provide for you. And you're thinking, okay, I can never repay that back. I'm never going to be able to get into that. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not the point. You're out. Let's get out of the Roman culture and the Lord, see this, that you've invested and the Lord himself is going to supply every need of yours. That's a beautiful, beautiful promise. Now, again, this is not, I just have to keep saying this because we're in America, there's so many crazy teachings about this. This isn't, every need of yours does not include the 1976 Ford Mustang that you have dreamed about necessarily, okay? It's not like, that's a need, Lord. I need that thing. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. I need an island, Lord. No, that's not what he's talking about. Paul is speaking of their needs, right? The needs that that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 6, that God clothes the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and God's going to provide what you need. He's going to provide food and shelter and clothing. He's going to sustain you. 
Paul is speaking of God providing what we truly need in life. But that itself is an amazing promise. I mean, friends, think of what would change in our lives if we truly 100% believed that if we follow the Lord and risk things for his sake, that he would supply for every need that we have. I mean, there's so many things. Sometimes I think maybe I could do that, but I don't know. I don't know. And if we thought, okay, if it's for the purpose of the Lord, if it's not unwise stewardship, if it's, if it's good gospel risky kind of stewardship, the Lord will provide for every need of yours. That's what he says, point blank. Church, I wish I could just tell story after story of people in our church that the Lord has provided for in unexpected and wonderful ways. Through unexpected circumstances, through other people in the church, seen it again and again and again, this promise ringing true. Paul is so sure that God is going to supply the needs of the Philippians because God throughout this letter has been shown as the provider for our greatest needs. See, because Paul reviews in Philippians, because of our sin and rebellion against God, all we had was need. We needed a way to stand before God and not be condemned. We needed rescue from God. We needed salvation from God. We needed hope We could offer nothing to God, right, to make him obligated to help us. Our record was that we worshiped and served things like money instead of God, instead of loving the one who created us and loved us. We could offer no good deeds to get back into his good graces. We could offer nothing that God needed except for our sin itself. And yet, when God was not obligated to do anything for us, Jesus came and Jesus gave. Philippians 2 says that he gave up the fullness of his glory. He took on the nature of a servant. He gave and gave of himself as he came to earth. And then he gave still further. He gave up his very life. He gave himself over to the sword of God's justice that was meant for us. He gave himself over to separation from the Father. He gave everything for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, this is why Paul can say this. Why he can say, listen, I know that God will provide for you because He knows. Listen, this is the Jesus that spent himself for you, that by his poverty, you would become rich. So how will he not also with him graciously give us everything we need? Paul says this is an ironclad promise. So just ask yourself, what would change if I believed that with everything in me, that God truly would supply my need? Would you live differently? Would you budget differently? Would you plan differently? Friends, there may be some people here that maybe the Lord is calling you into some type of ministry. Maybe he's calling you to the mission field. Maybe he's called you to invest in a sacrificial and amazing way. And what would change about that decision if you truly believed God is going to supply my needs? All right, let me give you a few categories of application before we wrap up. We've been working with our five-year-old about learning about money last uh, few months. So every week, he gets a paycheck. I refuse to call it an allowance. He has to work for it. A paycheck, 
if he does his jobs at school, if he serves the family, if he does his chores. And one of the things we're having him do is put aside some money, which is his, so he has save and spend and give. And so he has to put something in the give and, and he puts it aside and he gives it at church. And it's just watching, it's like watching like myself out of my body as he processes this. And what we do, it's so good, but in some ways I feel so terrible for the guy. So first we lay out like in quarters and dollars what his allowance was for the last week or two. And then we say, okay, bud, now some of that goes in the give envelope. Do you remember how much? And he goes, oh, yeah. And you can see his face light up when it's slid across the table to him. And then, and he puts it over in the give thing. And then he asks the best question, but why does God need the money if he has everything? You know, and, and it's provided this wonderful opportunity for, for us to help him see, no, buddy, he doesn't need the money. He has everything, right? Your, your two quarters are not going to be the make or break difference. Of like, is gospel mission going to happen in El Paso? I don't know, 50 cents. Um, but instead, for him, it's an act of worship, right? It's, it's an expression of, hey, we have a church family, and we want to partner with them. For him, it's an expression of the fact that, listen, God has been so generous with us. We're going to offer this as an act of worship. We're trying to help him see, listen, and you can do this because you can, it helps you learn to trust the Lord that more will still be coming. These aren't the last two quarters you're ever going to get. The Lord's going to help you. And friends, that's where we all are. And so, like, this kind of a message puts me, like, God's over here, and I take my son's place. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, and, and I just want to walk through some categories that if you're in a certain category, maybe a next step for you. Because we're all there together on that side of the table. First, if you're not a Christian, this message is not about trying to get you to give money to God so that he will like you and forgive your sins and let you into heaven. I hope you've heard that God, he gives to us when there is nothing we can give to him in return. Right? He sent his son already. And this message is really an invitation for you to behold the generosity of God and to embrace it. Now, what I hope you have seen as well is that this isn't like a no cost, oh, I'm just going to keep living my life thing. No, this is I'm offering all of me from my sexuality to my marriage to my money to the Lord. And I, I think some of you, God's calling to follow, God's calling you to follow him today in every area and to become a Christian. And I want to invite you to do that today. Or if you're a Christian but not a giver, and this message is kind of like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this Bible passage. Let me encourage you to wrestle with this, to search the Bible yourself, to talk to a cr trusted Christian friend, to talk to one of us as pastors. Because here's my heart for you. My heart is not, we need to get your money in the church or to some other orphanage or whatever. My heart for you is, this is held out for you as an expression of gospel partnership. And what the Lord wants for each of us is more than just getting through the Christian life. What the Lord wants for each of us is to be added to the gospel mission, to link arms with what he is doing, to invest for eternity. That's what I'm passionate about. Third, if you're a giver, but maybe it's not a lot, and maybe it's not consistent, maybe you throw in something a little bit every once in a while, but it's not like a part of your budget, it's not a line item, that kind of thing, then I want to challenge you to consider that category of gospel partnership. How would you giving change if you thought of yourself as a gospel partner? This is a venture that all of us are in together as the family of God, doing all kinds of things locally, globally, 
And I want to encourage you to think, how would I give differently if I saw myself as a gospel partner? Next, if you'd like to give, but you're not sure how, or your finances are just a mess, or maybe financially, you're just trying to, you're just trying to make it. And I know we have people in our church that that's where you're at. You're just trying to make it. Maybe your heart is saying, listen, I would love to do this, but I don't know how I can. Or maybe it's like, listen, this message is landing on me that I don't have any of my money really in categories. That's like a new thing. I should have categories. Like, and you're realizing, I need some help with this. I need some, some advice. I need some investment from somebody else. I just want to encourage you. The Lord has put you in a room of people that none of us started out, especially I me, mean, none of us are starting out as like experts on money, AEJ18, you know, like ding, like I'm a Christian giver. Like this has been a journey for each of us. And we have people in the church that would love to walk alongside you. If you'd be willing to get help and ask for help, there are people more than willing to love you and invest in you and help you, regardless of where you're at. And listen, our priority with church financial counseling is not, we need to get in there, get them to start giving to the church. No, our heart is to get in there and, and help them to, to be able to manage their money in a way that leads to peace in their home and puts them in a position where they can consider how to give. That's, that's our goal. Um, next, if you're married, and especially if you have kids, let me just encourage you, you need a plan as a couple and as a family for how you're going to build a culture of generosity and giving. Man, I, I feel this, but like, you watch anything with commercials as a family, you see anything, you, you dread the day, like me, that the giant Toys R Us Christmas catalog arrives in the mail. I guess that's one thing we don't have to worry about anymore, actually. So thank the Lord for that. But you dread those Christmas catalogs coming in, and you're like, oh, i got to hide this for my kids, right? Consumerism is pushing on our families all the time and on our kids. And I think we need a, a plan as a family. So maybe this is an opportunity for you and your spouse to sit down and say, okay, how are we going to build a different culture in our family? And last, if you're a regular generous giver, my encouragement is never let this get rote or old or just become an obligation or just become as a thing we do. I think this passage is an invitation to see again how glorious what you are doing is. And really, that is my main emphasis in thinking about our church. I mean, our church is full of people that give generously to the cause of the gospel. We've taken special offerings. People have given more than generously to those things. We've been able to do some amazing things. And so if you're one of those folks, I just want to encourage you with this passage. When you give, you're not just giving money somewhere. You are you are joining in gospel partnership with what the Lord is doing in the world today, right? When you give, you are investing in eternity. When you give, it is a wonderful, beautiful act of worship. And when you give, you are expressing, Lord, I trust you, not the balance of my bank account this week. And friend, I just want you to feel the joy and pleasure of God through the words of the Apostle Paul as he rejoices today. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. We're so glad that you tuned in today to Better News Radio for Pastor Ricky's study through the happiest book in the Bible. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard today and that Jesus' joy is filling you up. If you ever find that you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, please give us a call at 915-562-7100. We love that we can pray for our listeners, so don't hesitate. 
That phone number again is 915-562-7100. Or you can email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. We'd also like to invite you to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. There you can listen to today's message again or search through our archive of previous teachings by Pastor Ricky. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to receive the latest messages as soon as they're available. Pastor Ricky has created an introduction video for our website visitors, telling you about the gospel message and why it's vital for the world today. Watch it online and find out more about the ministry of Better News Radio at betternewsradio.com. While we'd love to spend more time with you today, sadly, that brings us to our conclusion. We'd like to encourage you to read ahead in the book of Philippians and let the Holy Spirit guide your own time of study. He might just reveal something you never would have caught before. Thanks for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again to hear more from Pastor Ricky right here on Better News Radio.